Welcome into another episode of ESPN's NBL podcast. My name's Kane Pittman, and not alongside me this week. In fact, he's in a hotel room. My colleague and friend Olga Nulich, who is uh, actually in Singapore. So, uh, are we going to start this podcast with some breaking news and the return of the Singapore Slingers, Olgs? <laughs> Imagine if that's why I was here. I came all this way to, to report on the ground <laughs> the return of the Slingers. Well, you didn't even tell me about it, so I'd be pretty disappointed if it was the case. So are you ruling it out? Because, uh, look, we have spoken about expansion. And and we've, we've, we've spoken about this expansion. We've spoken about the NBL's desire to somehow hit the Asian region, whether it's through preseason games or midseason games or whatever. So it's not like out of the question. Um, but like, I will state categorically, that is not why I'm here. I am here on a family trip. Um, the return of the Slingers, as far as I know, is not imminent. Kane, don't. Don't even throw it out there. Well, we're actually recording this podcast on Wednesday afternoon as well, which is a day after when we normally do it. Uh, but we thought it was appropriate because we've actually got a night off tonight with no hoops. I'm not sure what I'm going to do uh, tonight when I turn the TV on and there's no NBL game. But it's been a crazy couple of weeks here trying to keep track of the race for the top six, which continues to be pretty fierce. Maybe there's only seven teams left. And maybe that's where we can start because not only not only are you in Singapore right now, you're in Sydney for Christmas night. You at the historic Christmas night game. What'd you think? What was it like in the building? It was it was cool in there. It was to start off. You had a lot of staffers, sort of seemingly very grateful that they got to be part of like history. Um, it was definitely more uh, informal. Uh, than any other game you know people mm. wearing people maybe not wearing like the usual like usher outfit you know <laughs> um it, it was it was a lot more chilled you know paul smith wears what he wears but he was walking around sort of thanking people for being part of the day as well um because this this was like the sydney king's big risk um you know they're the ones who you know put the idea forward they're the ones who pushed it um every seemingly every sort of big initiative that came in this game whether it's uh having commentary in the stadium and and things like that 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 was pushed by the Sydney Kings and so they were grateful for people um and then it was like a, it was a pretty good game of basketball it blew out toward the end but it was relatively close it, we saw Xavier Cooks you know put together an MVP type performance um with no Chris Golding for Melbourne uh, you know Rajon Tucker stepped up Isaac Humphrey stepped up you know we we saw a, an a legitimately good game of basketball from everything we've seen we're seeing the the crowd number of just over 7,000 was was pretty solid. Um, the TV numbers appeared quite encouraging. And so it was overall, you know, a, I think it was objectively a pretty successful night. I always look at these things and I keep in mind that I'm definitely not the target audience, Olks, because I'm going to watch every game no matter what. And technically they, they have us already. Yeah, they're not trying to rope me in. But I did find myself... And Christmas night for me is typically pretty quiet. We wrap up stuff with family at, you know, five o'clock or whatever it is. So to come home and watch the game was perfect. But I did get to the end of the game and I was like, oh, I could watch some more. I could watch another game right now. And the league and Larry Kesselman has kind of hinted that maybe they would be interested in a doubleheader. Did you walk away from that night thinking that A, and of course you were there, so maybe you didn't have, uh, or you had a different perspective certainly to me, but did you walk away thinking that, this is something that absolutely should happen every year. I I think so. I, I don't think the NBL has enough spectacles like this. Um, and I, I think it needs more of them just to, to get that. Like you said, they have us. 
They don't need us. They need to get <laughs> the average fan. They need to find a way to get into the casual sporting uh, viewer market. And and I feel like games like this are, are the ways to do it. Um, I spoke with Paul Smith and he said that this game may not have got the uh, the capacity that they would have wanted. They want it closer to 10,000. Um, and they think they're going to tweak some things going into next season where they can reach that number. Um, but apparently the the interest in the Sydney Kings um, in attending games has increased beyond that game. And so it was a good way to sort of um, get brand recognition for the Sydney Kings out there. You know, how we're, hey, we're playing this, this Christmas Day game. Everyone is sort of aware of the Sydney Kings and what they're doing currently. And then they want to watch beyond that. And so, you know, it's helpful in that way. And then as far as another Christmas Day game, um, the the sort of whispers that were rumbling around the arena were why not do, you know, a, a New South Wales derby and then a Melbourne derby. Mm-hmm. And so at the very least, everyone can wake up in their respective homes and, you know, have Christmas with their children and that sort of thing and and not have to go anywhere. You can have Melbourne, Southeast Melbourne and have Sydney versus Illawarra and see how that plays out. Um, I don't know how that would have worked this season just because Illawarra is way down uh, in the standings. But I think in the future, that sort of, that sort of thing is what the league and what, those teams are going to search for just so guys don't have to travel. Cause there was some, uh, the, the Melbourne crew wasn't entirely happy that they had to travel on Christmas and things like that. So two derbies makes a lot of sense for next Christmas. Yeah. And folks, I think overall was right in your story that you, you had up um, ESPN.com.au, which was fascinating. There's some pretty good quotes in there. And Bogut said, well, Hey, what about the Phoenix that are traveling home on Christmas morning? What about the teams that are playing on boxing day? A lot of these teams are still either practicing or traveling as well. So if you really wanted to stamp that out, I mean, you're, you'd be shutting out that entire window, which they're not going to do. So there are a number of teams, uh, not just Melbourne and Sydney, that potentially were put out from some family stuff here. So yeah, again, I don't have kids. It's easy for me to say, but it was cool. I liked it. I enjoyed it. But the on-court stuff, and you know, we learned again that Melbourne without CG is going to have a difficult time. But I thought it was fascinating that they still put up 51-3. So I, I, <laughs> and, and this was this was interesting because on the season, 42% of their shots are threes. In this game, 64% of their shots were threes. So it went through the roof. Out of those 51 three-point attempts, and I've written about the Sydney defense and what they try and do, and they're trying to make you shoot mid-range and above the break threes, prefer, uh, preferably over corner threes. How many of those 51 three-point attempts do you think were from the corner? Good question. I remember like, some David yeah, I, I remember some David Aquera threes. Mm-hmm. I remember a few Rajon Tucker threes. Attempts, maybe like eight attempts. Two. Really? So it was just those two. Wait, is it these makes or attempts? Att- overall, but they were two for two. So they were two for two from the corner. Wow. And then, and then outside of that, uh, they took forty nine attempts from above the break. So, look, the Kings were happy, I assume, with the shots that Melbourne were taking in this game, and they put them in spots where uh, they were happy for them to shoot. And even Rajon Tucker, and look, he was six for seventeen from three, which is clearly an outrageous number. And and overall, uh, Melbourne only managed twenty four points in the paint. So. You know, as far as defense go, the Kings were three and three over their last six, which is obviously for them, that's below the the standard that they set for themselves. But it looked like they were ready to go in this one. And I don't think having Chris Golding uh, certainly helped Melbourne's cause. Yeah, two things. So, you know, you've written a lot about the Sydney Kings 
forcing you to take the shots that they want you to take, right? And this was the perfect perfect example of that. Um, the the problem was with no CG, the spacing was just horrific on yeah. that floor. And so from the tip, it was just the Kings just making the floor so, so little and then forcing um, whether it's, you know, Shea Ely is a much improved three-point shooter, but forcing tough shots above the break from guys like Ely and Tucker uh, and Brad Newley and, and and the bigs and those sorts of things. Um, like it's, it was, it was just never going to be a good night for Melbourne. Um, you know, we talk about why Rajon Tucker has taken this leap recently. It's because of largely because of firstly the, the entrance of Shea Ely and everything being more organized, but it's Chris Golding and his gravity, you know, he, Chris Golding alone can make, a defense play extremely wide and that opens up the lane for Rajon Tucker to do his thing. Um, and then it's just the, the Kings are just so versatile. Um, you know, they're forcing you to shoot those tough threes. You get, you get long rebounds and you have the, the fastest team in the league. That's just going to run the break. And then Zave cooks, I rewatched the game last night on the plane and Zave cooks is just a blur in transition. And he is effectively unstoppable. He, he has, you know, NBA athleticism, he can handle it. He gets on the rim. Um, it was just, it was it was a picture, not picture perfect, but it was as good a performance as, as Sydney could have wanted from that night. Yeah, and, they, and as I said, they didn't, they wouldn't have been panicking. But, you know, I was talking to DJ Vasevic in the lead up to the game and he said, look, people are always looking at Melbourne here and they're saying they need to win to maintain the top six. But he's like, we don't want to be in the playing tournament either. We need to win this game to ensure we lock down uh, top two. So you've been on the Melbourne train in terms of they've been coming and they've been playing better basketball. They're now 9 and 12. They've only got seven games left, two trips to New Zealand in that. Are you willing to write them off yet? No. Okay. I, st- I still think... So tell me, do you... So right now... Let's say we had power rankings today. Um, every team healthy. Where, where is Melbourne? I'd have them, and it's it's a little bit. You have to use your imagination a little bit because we haven't really seen much of it from Melbourne. We've only seen two or three games, but I would have them behind the Kings, the Breakers, the Phoenix if healthy. Maybe Tasmania, but yeah, I mean, I they I maybe I don't have as much faith or trust in the Wildcats or Taipans at the moment. So they'd be, they'd be in the mix. I mean, they would be better than 9 and 12. I think we all believe that. But it's a matter of they've played more games than anyone in the league. Out of those seven games, again, we keep bringing up the 500 mark. So if it's the 500 mark, they have to go 5 and 2. How many of not... on the road? Yeah, well, they've only got one home game. So they've got Brisbane should win. Tasmania, then they go to New Zealand, then they go back to Brisbane, then they go to Adelaide, then they go to New Zealand, and then they're at home, but they've got Adelaide in the last round as well. So I just think when you combine the schedule with the fact that they need to jump two teams, yeah, it was going to be challenging, and this was a game that they had to get. Yeah, and I I think they would have gone into this round saying that obviously they'd like to win both games, but a split of the the Cairns-Sydney games was a st- still a relatively decent outcome. Um, there is no question that it's going to be extremely tough for them to overcome the, their rough start in order to somehow get into that six. Um, it's just, I, I feel like, I don't know if it's just the way that they're playing right now 
is clearly they're clearly better than some teams in the six, mm. and so it just feels like almost an injustice that they're not. But at this, by the same token, I look at Southeast Melbourne and how they should have had they had a bad start to the season because of their circumstances, and they managed to overcome it and they managed to start playing pretty organized basketball quicker than Melbourne United did, even with the absence of key guys. And so, like as so yes, as much as I am hopeful that we see Melbourne in the top six because I think that that is how good they are. Um, but part of being like a, a contending team is winning the games that you should win um, and, and you know, overcoming those those obstacles. And I feel like if you compare them to Southeast Melbourne, Southeast did that and Melbourne didn't. You know, those those losses to, we talk about all the time, the, the Tasmania one, the Perth one, um, the Cairns one early in the season at home. Regional Tucker had a few free throws that could have sent it to to overtime. You know, those are the ones that championship contending teams win. Um, look at Sydney and the the two buzzer beaters they have. Again, they're, they're two games that they should have won, but that they, they won those games that you managed to get over the line if you're that caliber of team. Speaking of championship contenders, so you sent me a nice little email earlier this morning. We do an article. Uh, three by three over at ESPN.com.au. If you haven't checked it out, we have a bit of fun. Three questions. The format's simple. Three guys, three questions, and some questionable opinions that get put uh, online. So today, one of the questions we had, and Peter Hooley joins us as well for that. One of the questions we had is who is going to be in the top two? Who are the two teams? Pretty simple. Now, me and Pete went with Sydney and New Zealand. And I lazy. Was, I'd say that's lazy. Well, it's also, you know, you just get it based on the evidence we've seen so far. But uh, you put <laughs> a team in your top two that that uh, maybe raised my eyebrows a little bit. I'm fascinated to know why. You put Tasmania in there. At the moment, as it currently stands, Jack Jump is a 10 and 8. They're in fifth, tied in the in the loss column with the Wildcats and 36ers there on, on eight losses. So... Where is all the faith coming from for the Jackies? Okay. Jack Jumpers, I think they're playing really good basketball, basketball right now. Because, you know, by the way, no, but this is you're going against what everyone does. No one believes in the Jack Jumpers. You're going against the rule of the Jack Jumpers being in this league. Do they hate me for that? Does <laughs> so it, I think does they this, do. They don't want this. This makes them not underdogs anymore. Dang. Okay. So, because, and then to be, and, to be very clear, since the start of the season, I was I was one of the people saying that Jack Jumpers are good because they're good. It's not just because yeah. like they hustle lots or whatever. They're mm-hmm. a legitimately good team. Mm-hmm. Um, they have, okay, I think I have these numbers right. They have ten games remaining, six of them at home. One of those games on the road is against Illawarra. One of those games at home is against Illawarra. They've got a game against Brisbane in there. Um, yes, they have uh, their next games in Sydney which they won last time, but that's a, that's a tough game. Um, a lot of those games are against those play-in teams as well. So they have, uh, you know, Southeast Melbourne at home. They've got, they, they go to Cairns, they have Perth at home. But I just think they're playing really good basketball. What they did to New Zealand was not an anomaly. That is, that is the rule. That is how Tasmania plays. They will, they will junk it up. They will slow you down. Um, and when those offensive pieces are clicking, um, it just takes some of those ancillary guys, just a few of them to step up to get enough points on the board to get wins for these guys. So whether it's Fabian Krislovich last game, having 14 points in the first half, whether it's, you know, 
you know, Sean McDonald or Isaac White coming off the bench and providing that scoring punch. Um, Will Magne is is slowly coming together. He's he's looking a bit closer to his former self. Um, you know, Rashad Kelly has been up and down, but when he's clicking, you know, all of a sudden you have this this go to guy. There's someone someone you can throw the ball into. I think they're just playing really good basketball. I've said it a lot. When it comes to competing for titles, I like defense and I like depth. And I think Tasmania currently uh, are one of the only teams outside of, I'd say, Sydney and New Zealand who I can trust those two things on. Um, and so, and then given the, their schedule to end the season, largely at home, I think it's it's sort of like it's almost theirs to lose. I feel like they can get, if they don't get in the, that top two, I, it's just on them. So sixth in offense, fourth in defense right now. The defense has been trending up because we spoke about it a few times. At the start of the season or through the first half of the season, they were a little uncharacteristically off on some games. So, yeah, I I think you can trust the Jack Jumpers for sure. Certainly more than you can Perth, Adelaide, we don't know. We're going to see Ian Clark. Probably Cairns because their offense is just really struggling. They just haven't been able to score. They shoot a, a, a ton of threes. Don't necessarily make many threes, though. And so I think Tassie are a little more trustworthy than them. The reason why I've got New Zealand in there, and I know Tasmania just uh, beat them the other night, but, geez, you talk about the bad luck that the Phoenix have had. The Breakers would, again, being hit by COVID stuff, and then Will McDowell whites out of this game. And it feels like they're just constantly on the road, by the way. It just feels like they have no home games. And they've got <laughs> only five home games left from their last 11 games, which is crazy to, to think about. It just feels that like they've always sound, been on the road. That doesn't sound real at all. How is that possible? I'm not sure. But I, I've probably, hopefully I've counted that right. But the reason why I, I do like the breakers on the road home is because out of those 11 games, they get Brisbane twice and Illawarra twice. And... Yeah, Brisbane could be competitive. We've seen them beat Perth last night. I can't figure out from night to night whether they are going to be competitive or they're going to lose by 40 points because that's what it's been like <laughs> the last couple of weeks here. But nonetheless, if the Breakers are a contender, those are games they should win. So you you think that you can pick up a few wins against those teams there. And as I mentioned, they get Melbourne a couple of times at home as well. And their second offense, second defense. I mean, they just don't have that many holes and they don't have perhaps some of the superstars or the big names that other teams do. And we've spoken about all NBL teams and MVP candidates, but they're just really solid. And I, I've said a few times, it was like they were Tasmania last year with more offensive weapons. Tasmania's offense has, has come along and certainly Milton Doyle's helped that. But I, I just, every time I think the breakers are going to start to slip, they just keep winning. And yeah, they lost this game against Tasmania, but I think there were some reasons for that. They won't make any excuses but I, I do trust them. I, I have a fair amount of faith that this team's just going to win enough games to get into this top two, along with Sydney, I think is the other team. And they're 11 and six. They are in a, in a pretty damn good spot. I don't, I hate, I just don't, yeah, I don't disagree with you. Everything you said is like, is very legitimate and is Thank a you. good reason to have them there. Um, I don't know. Was I just trying to be a contrarian just to, just to not Which follow we appreciate. you in the rules? Thank you. Just because it's boring. The three on three can get boring. Yeah. If we all just say the same stuff all the time, um, I, the, this I feel like it's just the, it's the same argument for both teams. Because again, when I spoke about you know defense and depth, it's Sydney, it's New Zealand, and it's Tasmania in my mind. I think they're the teams that tick a lot of those boxes. Um, so yeah, New Zealand is absolutely the, probably the right pick 
I just something about Tasmania and their remaining home schedule makes me hopeful for them. And I also think I think as much as I think Modi Mayor will be the coach of the year because I think he has exceeded expectations the most. And I think just also just what he's done out there, you know, guiding this team as one of the best defensive teams and one of the best offensive teams in the league. I think Scott Roth is maybe the best coach in the league. Um, and so I, I put a lot of trust in him and what he, he's able to do with his group too. Well, he's got his family in town as well. And one thing I was thinking about the other day, he, I, I felt he so his daughter is pretty active on Twitter. I think her name is Denny. I think that's, that's how you say it. But she puts the best Scott Roth content on the internet, whether it's like the videos at the games. And Scott Roth, there's people showing up to the games now with his his face on it. And I I tweeted the other night that there was a Danish royalty in the house at the Jack Jumpers game, which was fitting because they were all sitting there watching the king of Tasmania, Scott Roth. He is, (laughs) I just can't believe how much this guy has loved. And and it it makes sense. I totally get it. Uh, But... I don't know if there is a more loved man in the NBL than Scott Roth with Tasmania fans. Oh, so you you got to go to Tasmania, you know, ahead of their grand final appearance. Yeah. Um, and I'm gonna try and get to Tassie this season. I'm trying to get there maybe end of January. Um, and it's something that I just want to I just want to understand. Um, because when Scott Roth talks about defending the island, it's not just like it's not a throwaway line. Everything I hear from you know around that team is that it's it's so legitimate you know his his sentiments of um you know that they are the they are the like un, they are the underdogs they are the outsiders you know everyone's coming for them you know, they have to defend this thing in the, the press conference with isaac white i think isaac white mentioned something along the lines of um you know when we let the fans down we let tasmania down and i've never seen a more aggressive head nod from scott roth or from any coach, just saying like, like yes, like this is why we do this. Um, so I would, I would love to be in that arena. I'm, I'm going to try and get to this season, just to, just to see what it's all about. Um, like what? Because I know you went there. You, you and Laurie went out there last season. Um, is it, is it like that? Is it just a regional sort of feel that, and everyone rallies around Scott and this, this underdog team. Well, not only is it a regional feel, and I actually wasn't there for a game. I was there um, for practice and and we filmed a few different things down there. Mm. Uh, but they share their practice, and this isn't like uncommon. With this, this happened from time to time, but they share a practice facility with, I think it's like next to a school or something like that. So not only are the jack jumpers walking through the foyer to get to practice, you've got school kids running in to like do whatever activities <laughs> they're doing. You've got grandmas going in there to play badminton and their, their Wednesday yes. social comp as well. And so they are just literally, they're just a part of the part of the furniture in Tasmania now. And I've asked a few of the players what it's like if people stop you and they, and they say, well, yeah, I mean, we're kind of tall. So people just assume that we play for the jack jumpers if they didn't know us already. Uh, but the players will stop. They'll they'll you know talk to fans or talk to the locals. Like it's probably more appropriate the the locals, and so it's just a, a unique place. And I've been to to most of the NBL uh, cities. I'm always curious what it's like for Cairns. But I think just the fact that Tassie hasn't had a sporting team in general, they have just gone absolutely crazy uh, for Scott Roth and for uh, this franchise. So they're definitely a team you want to see do well, and they're organised. Which brings me to the Brisbane Bullets. What's the latest with the Bullets? Is there anything we need to know? I know they've brought in a, a new assistant coach and Greg Vanderjack has taken over the role for the rest of the year, which is interesting. 
what have you made of the last week? As finally, we've had some people talking. The Bullets, as I said, got absolutely waxed by a half a Phoenix lineup, then came back and beat the Wildcats last night. So, full disclosure, I've yet to watch the Wildcats game. I tried to finesse a way to watch it on the plane. Didn't work out. Uh, I was disappointed. I had an eight-hour red-eye and no game to watch. Who'd you fly um, with? I flew, I flew with Scoot. Um, Scoot Airlines is the Singapore Airlines budget airline. And I was, this is no joke, I was on the Pikachu jet. And so uh, there was like Pokemon <laughs> paraphernalia everywhere. Pikachu was on the the like MC, the the um the voiceover thing it was a whole it was a whole wow. kind of situation um <laughs> but but so I, I wasn't able to, to watch the the bullets wildcats game um as far as the bullets um we saw a press conference with peter mcclennan the ceo and greg vanderjacks the now head coach for the remainder of the season that interim tag is gone um with the greatest respect we didn't learn too much um Nothing. It was just a, it was just a lot of, just like a lot of words. You know, doesn't seem like any progress is being made. Um, this it seems like not enough people are willing to take responsibility for the obvious issues, um, and you know the obvious, you know, malpractice and mismanagement that's gone on at the Bullets, and that goes from Peter McClennan, that goes up to the owner who did a J- Jason Levian who did a podcast with Liam Santa Maria. Um, and again, I I learned nothing. And credit to Liam for for pushing him. But again, but it was just a lot of words. No one taking responsibility for things that we know they had a hand in. Um, so that was a bit weird. One of the positive moves. Firstly, congrats to Greg Vanderjack for getting his first win as a head coach. That was that's terrific. Um, positive move is Perro Cameron coming in as an assistant coach. Widely respected coach, not just in New Zealand where he's the Tall Blacks head coach, but in Queensland where. Um, you know, he has coached around there too. And he's a guy who going into the season, there was a short list that that existed of potential replacements or probable replacements for James Duncan. That that list existed and it was something that was put together within the Brisbane Bullets. Para Cameron was on that list. Um, so I'm not saying that this is grooming him to eventually just take over as head coach. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if whomever is the head coach next season, whether it's Perry Cameron or whether it's someone else, uh, I imagine that Cameron will remain a part of it. Um, I wonder if it's a, a sneaky early play to get Flynn Cameron over to the Bullets because um, he's a quality player too. Um, but yeah, guys like Perry Cameron, guys like Judd Flavel, um, Anthony Stewart, Joey Wright was a name in that shortlist as well. Um, you know, they're the sorts of names that I think you can expect going into the offseason as potential Bullets uh, head coach candidates. Um, and I guess Cameron has his his foot in the door early now. And they did play well last night, and Nathan Sobey's been red hot these last two games. Even uh, even the game they did lose to the Phoenix, he had 30 points there. Uh, Peter McLennan did say that they haven't given up on the play-in tournament. They're 5-12. and 12. How do you feel about that, Olks? Uh, don't, don't, don't feel much about it. <laughs> like, I'm... I'll make the plan. Like Illawarra can probably statistically, mathematically make the play-in tournament, but I feel also nothing about that too. I don't know if they what do you, can. What do you think? No, no, no. The Bullets won't be there. But what what do you what do you make of the Wildcats? Because they've improved over the last uh, probably six weeks, and we discussed the idea that 
Yeah, John, really. First of all, he needed some time with this team for sure. I think that's fair. And it's difficult when one of your imports is a rookie as well. But he just went to his best five players starting and it mm-hmm. worked. But this was a setback for them. This was a game that they needed to have, needed to get, particularly with the run home. Obviously, it's challenging. There's so many competitive games, but that that's the one that they'll be disappointed they didn't pick up. I, I mentioned earlier that perhaps I don't have the trust in the Wildcats night tonight. Where do you sit with Perth? Because as I'm looking at this with the 36ers currently, as we record outside this top six, we think they're going to get in there. We think. So that just means one team has to slip out and the Wildcats look in a dangerous position. It's it's looking tough. And I might have to lob questions at you because I didn't watch last night's game. Um, but so early in the season, you remember all the talk about Brady Maddock, you know, is he going to be, you know, the first import on the, on the, on a plane home and that sort of thing. Um, and then he had a really good game. It was six, three pointers, I think 25 some odd points. Um, and at the time I remember I tweeted, um, and this was just as a sentiment to Wildcats fans that this isn't a David Ware situation where a few years ago, Sydney Kings had an import named David Ware who four man just unfortunately just wasn't up to it. He wasn't an NBL level player and he was obviously going to get cut, but then he hit a game winner, a buzzer eating <laughs> game winner against the Perth Wildcats. And so the optics of cutting a player after he had a decent game and then hits a game winner doesn't look great. And so, you know, you might have to cop having him for an extra week or maybe two because you don't want to cut the player who just did a really nice thing for your team. Now, Brady Manic was, I was, told was never going to be that it was never all right we're going to cut him but oh no he had a good game so we're going to keep him (laughs) for another week and then cut him it was always they were going to write it out um and i don't at this point when you watch i'm not sure if that was the right decision um offensively he's had his moments and that's terrific he's a a really cool offensive player i think he's super skilled um as a spot-up guy he's awesome quick release um he can't guard anyone in the league unfortunately um and so again if I'm just box score watching, because I've only watched like the three minute highlight clip of that Bullets Perth game, um, you know, he played 18 minutes. Um, I'm assuming he wasn't effective. By the same token, I'm looking at um, Luke Travis, who played 20 minutes at was four or four from deep. And he had, was 15 and 10 in his 20 minutes. So I'm curious as to why he didn't play. Todd Blanchfield suddenly played 27 minutes. After his unfortunately pretty horrific start to the season, he just hasn't been good. So I'm I'm confused at what the Wildcats are, are doing out there, and a, a lot is on Bryce Cotton's shoulders. Obviously, um, I just feel like they've stuck with these imports, especially Brady Manic, and it's it's maybe going to be their death knell because they they can't guard anything. They're the worst defensive team in the league. They are, which is which is obviously unique to the Perth Wildcats as well. And yes. and I wrote about the the combinations, and I believe we discussed it on this podcast. This was a while ago now, maybe six weeks ago, seven weeks ago, mm. about the idea of the Thomas and Manic lineups. And basically, all the defensive numbers said that both those guys could be fine in defensive lineups, but if they're playing the five, and you had a even a wax stuff, the stuff looked a lot better and Luke Travis. So, you know, I think Luke Travis is a four in this league defensively, a three or a four. Yeah. But I think he's closer to the Xavier Cooks 
defensive role rather than being asked to play the three, you know, uh, uh, which he is when you don't have really much support behind you with Thomas and Manic. So I, I think that was, you know, I just mentioned going to your five best players and putting them, putting them in there offensively and they're the third ranked offense. So they can score. There's no doubt about that. And Bryce has done a lot of heavy lifting, but yeah, I just think some of the lineup stuff that we've seen with those two together it makes it difficult. And they're also not big rebounders. You know, it was everyone's been talking about the rebounding problem and it's, you know, Manic isn't banging and crashing on the glass. But this was the interesting thing from last night's game. A lot of the numbers suggested that they probably should have won in terms of points in the paint, 46 to 38. Second chance points, 18 to 11. They won the rebounding battle, 49 to 31. I mean, it, it was... In, in that respect, some of the numbers that they haven't been getting, they would have been happy to see them, but they didn't shoot the three well. Manic himself was 0 for 5 from the field, 0 for 2 from 3, 0 for 3 from 3. So, yeah, the problem with him is that if he's not shooting the ball well, and then what else is he doing? And, and it's tough when you're a one-dimensional player there, I think being a lot of the times out of position as well. And if you're going to have two import bigs, they have to be differentiated in a little way and I'm, I'm just not sure that when you look at the top teams in this league and the way they're playing defense the Perth Wildcats fit in that mold I agree and, and I I think there is a difference between Manic and Thomas I think Thomas is a guy who over the course of a season can be really can be effective on a team he's been I think that they're 100% and I, so I think there's a there's a role for him and he's been relatively consistent lately um, but then the, the unfortunate thing is that if if you don't have those those import spots, you know, nailed, then it's up to your local guys to step up. And this season, it just unfortunately hasn't been it for you know Todd Blanchfield and Mitch Norton, um, and then and, and Travis minutes have been up and down, and then their depth just it just doesn't exist. You know, Corey Webster has stepped up of late, and I think he's obviously a big reason why they picked up a few wins that perhaps they maybe might not have. So that win uh, in New Zealand, the win against Melbourne. You know, those are the sorts of, especially that Melbourne one, you know, it's that that win sort of masks some of the issues that they yeah. would have had that game as well. Um, so I feel like a lot of the issues that they've had have been masked by uh, very fortunate wins. But that tells me that their long term situation is perhaps not ideal. They are the team, I would think, in the top six there that, that I probably feel most fearful for in terms of reaching that play-in tournament there. Now, they've got Illawarra on New Year's Eve. Just cannot slip up. Just absolutely cannot slip up in that game because uh, to follow that up, they've got New Zealand on the road, then Sydney on the road, then they go New Zealand again at home, then Adelaide, then Sydney again, and then on the road against the Phoenix who... You know, hopefully they're a little more healthy by that point in time at, at, in January twenty uh, second there as well. So, yeah, that's why last night is a painful, painful loss for Wildcats fans. And I know we 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 speak about Illawarra as sort of like a gimme team, and I think the Bullets to an extent are that too. But I think Illawarra, they're they're sneaky. They're yeah. they're a team that you, especially that New Year's Eve game where Perth is going into Wollongong. You can't take that game lightly. Um, you know the the team that we saw play against Tasmania is is just not the Illawarra team that we're going to be seeing for the rest of the season. You know that was 
Tyler Harvey and Michael Fraser being ill, and so they're not they weren't traveling. They're, they're two main perimeter creation options. Um, you know, a healthy Illawarra team against this Perth team is is not one to be slept on. They they can't go into that game assuming that that's just a an easy tick in the win column. So we get the NBL going again Thursday night. Adelaide, we get our first look at Ian Clark. They'll play that Brisbane team who just came off and had a pretty good win. So Adelaide, again, for them, they're also in this mix. This is a game that they've got to get. Uh, we discussed Ian Clark a little bit last week, but I'm excited. I mean, this is a team that has literally put everything on the table and said, we're not going to let this season slide the way that it looked like potentially it was. We didn't know when the import was going to come in. So as far as teams, and there's probably a few teams that you could say this for, but as far as teams that are going to have literally no excuses if things don't work out, the Adelaide 36ers are there and they're not in the six right now. And I, I just feel as far as the pressure scale goes, it's turned right up for the Adelaide 36ers. Like the Sixers, they have the talent. Their top tier guys are really, really good. Um, you know, we we spoke about it. And again, I, I don't like it feeling like a meme, but Kai Soto entering that starting lineup has been really, really effective. You know, it was always, is there a, a defensive big um, that they maybe get instead of the, the Ian Clark or the perimeter guy? Um, and it just seems like Kai Soto, while he's not, you know, he's not, um, you know, Dwight Howard defensively, like he's not prime Dwight Howard. He's at the very least a really functional player who can be really, really big and guard the rim. And that's that's what that team needs, especially when you have guys like Sunday Detch and Antonius Cleveland pushing up. And so you're guiding them into this 7-3 body. Um, and then, you know, their last game against Southeast Melbourne, yeah, Southeast was undermanned. But, you know, Daniel Johnson coming off the bench and, you know, hopefully accepting that role with open arms and having 20 and 7 in his 17 minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, if you can use him as your gunner, as your dude that's going to come off and be a spark plug and then on then that starting lineup is, is super sustainable. You know, if they're going with, you know, a McCarran, Sunday Detch, um, Cleveland, Frank, Soto lineup, you know, that's one that, you know, especially in the playoffs when things slow down a little bit, I can sort of trust that lineup out there. And then Ian Clark comes in and all of a sudden I'm assuming that that ball is going to move even more. Um, I'm thinking about it like a few years ago when Melbourne added Scotty Hobson to their, mm. to their situation. And he would come off the. He can either he can be with the starters and be a spot up guy, or he can come off the bench. He was coming off on balls at the top of the key, and and that was just this really elite creation option for them. Um, you know, they're a team that the, the defense is they're not one of the best defensive teams, but they have the depth, and I think they have so many weapons. That they're, they're they're a sleeper team. I think they're going to get in the six. So one of those teams is going to come out, um, but they're a sleeper team. I have, I have a feeling they're one that could make a, a, a late surge. 62 points in the paint they had against the Phoenix. And we understand there's no Joe Chi, there's no Alan Williams and all the rest. But yeah, that was a, that was a beat down in the paint. And uh, 62, and they only scored 94 for the game. So yeah, they are they play a little bit different, but I'm curious to see how Ian Clark fits in this mix. And as we know, well, some of us had the foresight to see Kai Soto in the starting lineup from the preseason. So uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're very happy to see this development in Adelaide, but I'm excited to see them well play. Well done, Kane. Well done. Thank you. You can you got to be right occasionally, not often. Occasionally, you get right, and then you just have to let everyone know about it. Uh, more importantly, what the heck are you going to be doing for the next few days? Poolside is that is that the plan? 
Um, I'm gonna hit some hawker markets. I'll nice. hit, I'll do some shopping, spend time with my family, New Year's Eve. Just sort of like I say, it's a week off, but it's it's I will still be consuming and yes. reporting on basketball while I'm out here. Um, but it's just a chance to yeah spend time with my family, just just hang around Singapore. Haven't been here in like ten some odd years, and so I'm excited. Just. Just do that that crazy rich Asians sort of sort of life. See if I can sort of emulate that entire movie, I guess. Yes, I I've never been there, uh, but there's also no games in Melbourne, so I don't know what I'm gonna do. Maybe I, I gotta maybe I go to travel. I'm gonna get down to Tassie for a game. Get to Adelaide, perhaps. I could see myself going up to Cairns and getting some sun poolside during the day, basketball at night. You should you should go to the um the the Perth open air game. Because like, because I'll be in Sydney for a good portion of January, um, and so like I'll get to consume a lot of Sydney and Illawarra games, mm. um, but I think I feel like the Perth Wildcats uh, open air game is one that that's probably worth going to. Well, I did the open air experience the other night. It was pretty fun. I, I it do, was fun. That was I good do, to be at. I do find it funny how excited people get about the actual not the like because the game is cool with open air and all that. That's really nice. Mm. It's fun. But the actual idea of the roof opening, like how excited people are to see a roof open. It's as, though just they, a little... as though they weren't just outside. I mean, it's, it's just a roof opening. I actually, yeah. I'd never been to an uh, open air game before. And I thought, I was a little bit surprised that it's actually closed and they open it right before tip off, which I get it's theatrical, all that kind of stuff. But I, I thought they would, the players would want to get some shots up. Well, so they kind of did. It was so like we generally rock up to games anywhere between, you know, one and two hours beforehand. Before that, it was opened up for like an early afternoon shoot around. So guys can play underneath it. And so guys did get a chance to do that. Um, But then I found it funny that the big spectacle of, oh, we're opening the roof, you know, the big countdown. And then it takes a good like five, six minutes for the roof to open completely. It's just, it's because it's obviously a giant, heavy structure and it takes a bit of time for that to open so i thought that was funny everyone was just sort of waiting for this big reveal when it was just like a very slow gradual still kind of nice reveal um but yeah that perth that perth open air game you know january 14 against adelaide that's mm, a good game the 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 fact that you'll see the sky aside that's a legitimate that's a that's a game that could have playoff implications and i wonder just thinking aloud, if that Melbourne-Adelaide game, you know, Melbourne's last home game, I wonder if that'll have playoff implications too. I'm just that too would... high on Melbourne right now, aren't I? Just because of are... how they're playing right now. You're a little bit too high on Melbourne, there's no doubt. Uh, if that game has playoff implications, we're going to have some crazy stuff over the next few weeks. So it's going to be fun. Uh, I, for one, advocate NBL basketball every single night over this period of the year. I absolutely love it. It's been fun. It's been kind of hard to keep up with everything that's been going on, though, but you can do that at espn.com.au and we'll be back with this podcast next week who knows where in the world olgan will be olgs stay (laughs) safe over there my friend thank you ken you stay safe